0: I believe in you know the critical few, not the important many.
1: Creating a safe place where people can ask
0: questions of others. It was quite liberating for many of the team, including the older generation. Welcome to take the lead. A podcast series that helps empower senior leaders with LinkedIn's data, insights and information. Every episode, you'll hear industry experts share how they are navigating the ever-changing business and digital landscape.
2: Hello, and thanks for joining me. I'm Alana Britton, Head of Strategic and Enterprise at LinkedIn Sales Solutions, ANZ. Recent economic data shows that rather than a recession, we are looking to have a soft landing. However, the effects of recent uncertainty are still being felt. We are continuing to see increasing pressure on profits and cost management, as well as organizations remaining focused on being adaptive. The focus of this podcast is to hear from longstanding industries that are facing rapid digitalization and having to accelerate the change in ways of working. To help us dive deeper into this theme, we're going to be joined by two leading experts, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce industry experts and leaders, Sonia Adams, Global Chief Client Officer at GHD, and Nick Reynolds, CMO at Johnson Controls Hitachi Air. This is an incredible panel of guests, and I'm excited to hear their insights, so let's jump in. Satya Nadella said, the pace of change is accelerating, and the ability to adapt is becoming the new competitive advantage. Leaders need to be able to see the future, anticipate change, and make bold decisions that will position their organization for success. So just a small ask of leaders today. Sonia, thanks for joining We are at a precipice of change from a technological and generational perspective. You've been at GHD for the better part of 15 years. How has the art of doing business changed if you reflect on what was happening when you first joined to the type of relationship building and stakeholder management you have to do now?
1: Trust-based relationships are still really critical both inside your organization and with your clients. There's more focus on intimacy in those relationships and approaching relationships in a more intentional and structured way, starting with empathy, really thinking about how do I help my client? How do I be a good partner? How do I help their organization? Understanding their business, how it ticks and the industry context in which it operates. If I think about our consulting business, just in 15 years, Going from hard copy blueprint drawings to using BIM and VR, really big changes. Watching the beauty of the digital native generation working side by side with those who learnt their craft using a slide rule and watching them learn from each other is terrific. We've also been looking at things like what does a team look like? And particularly with flexible working, you're a member of multiple teams now in a workplace. And so we've been working really hard on this notion of a team of teams and you understand the variety of teams that you're a part of and the role that you play in each of those teams.
2: So trust, empathy, a deep understanding of people, that has really been a constant, but maybe the way in which you build trust, the way you understand others and, you know, team of teams, I love that sentiment. Nick, you've been in marketing and sales for a fair while. When you think back when you first started out, and and I'm noting that you've actually transitioned from tech into a different kind of industry. You've pivoted really when you sort of moved over to Hitachi. What are you noticing as significant change either from that pivot or also from a time perspective from when you sort of started out to now in terms of the way of doing business or the art of doing business?
0: Coming from tech, it's just the speed of moving, the speed of business, and the speed of change, and generally a much younger team versus Hitachi, an industrial conglomerate known for engineering prowess and innovation, yes, but not for speed. And I think really that's the main change. And, and one of the thing, reasons I was brought in was to drive a fundamentally a, a change from within. When you have a much older uh, employee set, You know, trying to introduce change, I think, has to be done perhaps quite differently, and especially when you're in a different culture. When I joined Hitachi, everyone was in the office. I radically introduced Zoom and video calls, you know, maybe coming to the office once a fortnight, maybe twice at most. It was quite liberating for many of the team, including the older generation, because you know, they don't want to spend three hours a day on two trains, a bus and a walk, you know, to the office and back. And they actually got better quality of life. And, and one of my team, he's told me his wife and his relationships much better because of it. That cuts through every generation.
2: That's a huge behavior shift. In 2015, only 5% of consumers made a purchase online. By 2022, that had increased to 84%. Similarly, in 2015, 50% of B2B buyers used digital channels to research products and services. By 2022, that number had increased to 80%. This is according to Gartner's B2B buying in the Digital Age report. So, Sonia, selling has moved away from a push on customers. And it seems like these stats are supporting what you've observed within your own workplace. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. We're in the midst of a big CX transformation in our organisation and we've just implemented Salesforce and a range of other marketing engagement technology. I think if I go back, one of the things that we've had to adjust to culturally is not thinking about the notion of selling, but actually helping our clients to buy, to buy the right thing, to help them as solution architects, to find a mix of skills that help them solve really big challenges. So we've been looking at how do I understand where the client is in the cycle between awareness, first they know we exist, then consideration, are we right for the problem or challenge that they might have? And then what's the procurement method that best suits the way for them to engage with us? We've adopted a much more collaborative mindset Clients have to be able to articulate through skilled questioning from us what their challenges are, what payback might look like, where does this fit in the context of other expenditure going on in their business? And then what's the right way to buy that solution? Is it a one-off hit? Is it a range of activities over a period of time? Is it a mix of straight out consulting or is it secondments and actually placing people in their business? So you have to be a little bit more agile. Websites used to be a really big, you know, electronic brochure. And if every service wasn't on there, you thought you couldn't sell it. And I think we've really shifted as an industry much more into the art of storytelling.
2: Amazing. I love that idea of co-creation. At LinkedIn, we believe in in co-creating with our clients as well and consulting with them in sort of identifying what the challenges and opportunities are and marrying up how we could potentially solve for that. You mentioned that you switched over to Salesforce. How is that being received?
1: The implementation of Salesforce is in service of our clients. It's a tool to help us engage with them in a way that's uniquely tailored to them, completely customised, intimate and in service of them. For us, it's just a tool and our implementation process, I think, has been quite rigorous The number of people who've taken to it like a duck to water, it's quite intuitive. And I see the younger generation, the digital natives, showing some of us more seasoned professionals hacks and tips and tricks outside of the formal training.
2: Nick, business cards, you know, do you remember carrying those around, knocking on doors? Is this bringing back memories? How has it changed for you? And any stories to tell?
0: You know, it's a far more planned, data-driven transparent process that that can be done remotely and and everybody has access to that we rigorously look at the data and we've implemented salesforce and we've also brought in you know a, a one integrated tech stack so depending on you know the email the events the social everything that we're doing you know at the right time we're passing the lead to the sales rep to make a call prompting them to make the call or make a visit because there's an opportunity that we feel. What hasn't changed is anytime you pass new business to sales teams or to your channel partners, they realize the value add. But it does take a lot of time to show the value of that and accept that change. The ones that adopt it, they're winning because they're getting more business. They're growing and others look to them. So we've tried to make them stars, you know, Uh, promote them and show them and, um, you know, publicly give them recognition. And, you know, that's showing the way for perhaps the, the laggards in the, in the organization. The business hasn't changed, but the way that we generate it definitely has.
2: Yeah, evangelizing that modern behavior of how you should be forging relationships. Curious on the idea of organizational value, the idea of building a preference for your brand or company at all levels of the organization with many different stakeholders and broadly yeah. touching your ecosystem is probably related to that in terms of, you know, it's not one relationship anymore. The value has to be translated from Know, the end user side of things, middle management all the way up to the C-suite in terms of how it aligns to their objectives and values. That's a significant shift. Yep. How have you been able to convince people who have been at the company a very long time, probably longer than you, that there is a need to shift around organizational value and the realization of that?
0: We sell everything through third parties, through channels, through channel partners. So we don't ever sell direct. And the biggest shift for us really has been, you know, rather than loading stock into a channel and them doing the selling, you know, now there's an expectation in the marketplace that the end users know who we are. You know, they're aware of our brand, they're considering our brand, and then they are the ones saying, I'm preferring Hitachi. And that has been the biggest shift because. We are having to market to and influence a much wider group of end users where before we never had to do that. You know, so that's the building owners, the managers, the construction firms, the design consultants, the architects. So there's been an, a, a massive increase in the number of people in the end user we have to market to and communicate with and ongoing communicate to them. So unless we add value to them, you know, so they hear from our experts, they're joining, you know, a webinar, they're learning something new, they're reading our latest white paper from Hitachi, or they're getting excited about a new product launch that's that we've just promoted on LinkedIn. You know, they're not going to be able to then say, hey, when they go to buy, I'm preferring Hitachi. And I think one of the mega trends that's happened in the last 25 years from my perspective is people want to have a direct communication or some sort of relationship with a brand. Prior to that, the brand was important, but you know, it was delivered through indirect channels. For us, it still is. But you know, we have to have that one-to-one connection with the end user, whether they're a home or a large business.
2: Sonia, I'm thinking about GHD and I'm thinking about your selling ecosystem building a GHD preference in your selling ecosystem. Is that something that you've been focusing on from an organizational value perspective?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely in plain and central focus, particularly for our marketing teams. If you look at, we're nearly 100 in Australia, so we'll be 100 in 2028. So we've got a really well-established brand. We don't have to do a lot of work around awareness, but we do have to do a lot of work in Australia around consideration, and that is What are we useful for and how might we be helpful to a client? And then I contrast that to the work of our marketing team in North America where we're a much more emerging brand. So who we engage with, how we do it, what channels we work through. So we've done quite a bit of work to shift away from this notion that we only ever engaged with a client's engineer and two engineers speak to each other. So we've sort of, like Nick, gone vertically through organisations. I think the size of projects that we're all working on too, particularly where there's capital expenditure involved, the numbers are big, so they get attention beyond the technical buyer now. The C-suite, the executive, the heads of department are all really interested in the outcomes because the numbers are big. So we've done a lot of work on our personas understanding who the people are up and down the value chain in the client's organizations. And of course, that, that helps us in our sales force capture as well. And we've really focused on building an audience of one in our communication. So we now have in our team account-based marketing people. They work with our relationship managers. They curate our content and stories to make sure they're reaching people before their hour of need.
2: In terms of the workforce right now in APAC, 80% of the workforce is millennial and Gen Z. When it comes to understanding them, not often are they in the office, often they are living in a digital world, often they are sharing a lot about themselves in a digital way. Did you have to get the team to adapt in how they research people as well as companies And try and better understand them from their digital brand and their digital footprint.
1: Well, yes. And of course, LinkedIn is a wonderful tool to start things (laughs) off. I think even the method of research, the amount of information that's available, the type of information. So if you're building an empathy map, there's just so much content available digitally before you even meet the person. Add to that then the human insights from people who do know the person. And then actually validating what you know about that person, asking their permission to learn more. I want to also touch on something we've been looking at as the nexus between CX, EX and PX. CX is reasonably widely understood. The employee experience is a slightly different kettle of fish. And we've also been looking at what's the partnership experience like with us when you're a partner. Go back to the EX, the employee experience. We've been having a look at whether or not productivity is increased for those working at home versus those in the office. And there are some mathematical equations that suggest the productivity could be higher in those who work at home. But we've been having a conversation about what is lost over time. So if I wind the clock forward 10 years, this highly productive generation who are working alone at home what will they not know? What will they have not learned? What of the softer and more human skills might they have not developed? So, are we in fact doing them a disservice?
2: Mm. It's the topic of now, isn't it? We, we came out of the pandemic, we all had to work at home. Now, there is a bit of a struggle in getting people back to the office or realising the value of coming back to the office. But I don't think we've fully sort of had a solve for how we make sure. Our teams are sharing, collaborating, and having those water cooler moments where there's a great deal of efficiency gained through just having conversations and learning from others in their experiences. would love to sort of pop on over to you, Nick. When you think about productivity in your organization, what are the kinds of things that you're focusing on right now?
0: I believe in you know, the critical few, not the important many. I'm always asking people to take me through their work in progress and making sure it's aligned to you know, five key things that we are driving in marketing. And those five key things haven't changed in five years. And when you bring it back down to that, people then you know, zone in on what's really important and you can make it enormous breakthroughs. One simple example of this to me was when I joined Hitachi Cooling and Heating. I said that needs to be the number 1 brand in digital. Uh, we're about number 8 in the world just in terms of market share. We're way down the list, you know, but I said that's a that's a big hairy scary goal and we're going to do that and then define what did that mean? You know, having the largest share of search, the greatest social share, the best performing and highly visited website in the industry. It meant launching therefore into 30 different countries, improving our website tremendously, investing in winning fans and advocates in social, you know, reorienting the entire marketing teams rather than digital being a function or a team to being a skill set that they all required. And that required a lot of training, a lot of cajoling, a lot of bringing change, setting targets. That to me was real change, real productivity, and it's been breakthrough for us.
1: We've been going through a similar journey to you, Nick. This is the first time in nearly 100 years that our marketing team have actually got a revenue target this year, and they've set it for themselves and are ready to go because they're ready to realise the value of the marketing technology investments. And they can see themselves getting closer to clients and closer to revenue through
2: that tech. For the first time, we've got five generations working in our workforce. As leaders, how do you balance the needs of the workforce where you have had traditionally maybe older people coming through And now you've got this very different digital native generation that you're managing at the same time. I'd love to sort of understand from a change management perspective or even from embracing that diversity, would love to sort of hear your thoughts here.
1: Yeah, and the the diversity lens is so wide. I'm the executive sponsor of our Women in GHD group. So we have a number of ERGs, employee reference groups, like a lot of organisations today do organizationally, we've come to a better understanding of what diversity and inclusion really means. So, we cover the full spectrum now when we think about what is the makeup of a team, including people with disabilities, uh, gender, age, neurodiversity. And I think we've changed the way we look at some of our programs. We're bound by our purpose, which is together with our clients, we create lasting community benefit. And our young people's focus on the survival of the planet, their place in it, businesses' place in the survival of the planet, gives extra meaning to that as a purpose statement.
2: Nick, taking on this theme of intergenerational workforces and how you see that playing out and diversity within your organisation, and maybe a little bit more on. The idea that they are values driven, the idea that decision makers are now millennials and they care about your impact on the world. I imagine that has impacted how Hitachi positions itself from a branding perspective. Would you like to sort of elaborate on how you've had to shift and adapt and actually, in fact, change and transform as a company as a result of the stakeholders you're dealing with?
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, the the first thing to do was actually educate our own company and staff about how, you know, Gen Z and millennials actually are different from a lot of our own employees as an older group, and the fact that they don't think the same, they don't operate the same, they do a lot more research. But so we we shared all of the research, the buyer research, and how that's shifted. So, you know, the fact that 100% of all of our end-user customers have already researched us and they've already come down to a short list of three brands in a short list that they're going to buy for a project. 85% of those same customers were willing to pay a higher price. Actually, up to 25% higher price for a premium solution that can reduce carbon and at the same time can actually save their money. You know, they're willing to pay more for that. The first thing is show your own organization the facts. And the facts are that millennials are living their life online. In fact, they now are saying their digital life and personality persona online has a higher priority than their offline real-life personality. So we must engage them through those channels, those mediums, you know, online, because otherwise we won't have a business.
2: Sonia, you as a leader, how do you think about shifting the middle when it comes to change management, given that we have many generations we are now trying to appeal to? And they do have different preferences and different motivators. So, how do you think about implementing change across the board, knowing that maybe you won't be able to get the laggards, but you'll be able to move the majority of them?
1: Yeah, it's a constant struggle making the decision, will I work with the front runners, the early adopters, and ignore the laggards? How long can I keep doing that for? So, one of the things that I found quite useful is – First of all, making sure that everyone is heard, fostering a notion of curiosity about others and about other people's perspectives, creating a safe place where people can ask questions of others without either being offensive or the the questioner being offended, and getting this shared understanding of where the starting line is. So I think it's really uniting around purpose understanding perspectives, creating a safe place, and leading from the front, you really have to be consistent.
2: Wonderful. And Nick would love to hear your perspective on change management. How do you see that within Hitachi?
0: The only way that you run a good business is you have a business management system. You have a set of reports, you have a series of meetings, you review it. But most companies and businesses don't really have a people management system. You don't get empathy when you're preaching at people, you know, you've got to do better in the business, blah, 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 unless you actually get face-to-face with them or very close with them and you speak to them very regularly. So I have 16 direct reports. I sit down with them every two weeks. We have an hour. You know, I do that in the same way at the next level down on a quarterly basis. Then we have a series of meetings with uh, individual teams. And when you sit down with people and you honestly and transparently say, give me a rating out of one to five on five areas. Getting paid, you know, Uh, are you making your bonus? Are you making your plan? Are you feel like it's fair, right, and reasonable? Making a difference. Are you getting out of bed and making a difference or are you dragging yourself into work, right? So get paid, make a difference, grow and learn. If you're not growing and learning, they're not going to feel like they're moving ahead in their career. The next two are liking the people you work with, your manager, your peers and your team members and having some fun. But you have to have a great people management system and do it consistently.
2: What's really become apparent to me is that leadership now has really shifted from maybe 20 to 30 years ago of being really directive and hierarchical to what is apparent to me by chatting to you Sonia and Nick of being really consultative and understanding your people, understanding their motivator, leading with empathy and really getting a good sense of what they care about and caring about them in turn. And so it's just a wonderful shift. Sonia, Nick, thanks so much for sharing your wonderful knowledge with me. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and your stories.
0: Thanks Alana, it was fun.
2: Thank you Alana.